I want to begin today by drawing our attention to an odd little story in the Old Testament. It may even be new to you. I want to begin there not just because the story involves food and we're in the middle of a series called The Table, but also because I think it in so encapsulates the heart of what we're talking about today. The story is found in 2 Kings 7, verses 3 to 11. I'm going to summarize it for you, but you can follow along on page 523 in the Pew Bible if you'd like. The incident takes place during a dark period in Israel's history, long after King David's reign, when the country was divided into two kingdoms. It's it's a time marked by war and famine. And the famine is so severe, we're told in 2 Kings 6-5, that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver. Now that's pretty bad. Jewish law in the Torah forbid eating donkeys at all. They were unclean animals. And the heads of animals, as you can imagine, were the least edible parts. Sorry for the visual vegetarians. These are desperate times. People are hungry. The story begins with four lepers outside an Israelite camp. They're outside, of course, because they aren't allowed in given their sickness. They begin asking themselves, what are we doing here? There's no food, neither outside nor inside the camp. We're going to starve. What if we went to the enemy camp nearby and surrendered? Maybe they'd take us as prisoners, and at least then we'd get some food. Figuring they had nothing to lose, they set out to the Aramean camp nearby. To their astonishment, they find the camp empty. The narrator tells us God caused fear in the Arameans, and they thought that Israel had made an alliance with another nearby superpower. So they got up in the middle of the night, fled the camp, and abandoned their tents, and the text tells us in verse 7, and their horses and donkeys. So an entire military camp miraculously abandoned. Food and plunder galore, jackpot. Verse eight, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. They took silver, gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. You can't blame them, can you? They're famished. They haven't had a crumb for days. They're shoveling it in, filling their bellies. And then seeing the gold, their instinct is to stockpile it. As lepers, they have to earn a living by begging. If I'm them, I'd hoard it too. Eventually, we don't know after how long, it dawns on them. Here they are feasting when their friends and family back at camp are starving. Verse nine. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went back to their camp, back to their people and told them about the food. I know it's an odd little story, but I love this story. I think it captures so vividly what Christianity is, what Christian hospitality is. 
Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Let me say that again. Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. That phrase, good news or gospel, is one of the first times it appears in the Bible. It's used all over the New Testament to describe what Jesus Christ has done for us, offering us real life both now and after we die. He offers us a place at his table, a place into his family. I mentioned this on the first week of our series when we looked at delighting in God's table, but it's worth repeating. Scripture is the testimonial of God's relentless hospitality towards his creatures. The God who made us and sustains us wishes to welcome everyone into his household through Jesus Christ. See, when you've been that starving beggar, when you know what hunger is, and then you find food, you can't help but share that with others around you. You go back to camp and tell your friends and family, and not only with them, but also with, as Rachel talked about last week, the stranger, the vulnerable, the needy, because this is God's table. He invites the guests. And so sitting at the table to feast on his love for us, we are also invited into re-envisioning who is supposed to be eating with us. And re-envisioning means we've got to make room at the table. God has no favorite children. He wants everyone at the table. There's always room for one more. This is the one of the great ironies and challenges of being the church. For you scientists, we are a living organism with a permeable membrane. We are intended to let people in. We're not an exclusive insider religious club where we go to get our needs met. Yes, we are a distinct community, but if we're healthy, we will also constantly be enfolding more and more people into our community who are growing in faith. Christine Pohl writes in her book, Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as Christian Tradition. Hospitality depends on defined communities, but it always presses those communities outward to make the circle of care larger. I love that. We're to be constantly pressing the circle larger, letting others in. Which is why one suggested definition I gave for Christian hospitality our first week was Rosario Butterfield's The Lost Art of Loving Inclusion. And so today in our series, The Table, we're gonna add an extension to the table. We're gonna add a leaf. We've come and sat here, feasted on God's love and welcome of us, We've looked around and seen different faces here, some of those we know and like, others who were strangers and are different from us. And now we've got to move on over. We've got to add a chair, use the rice as filler, because there's another knock at the door and we can't help but move over and let them in because we too were begging for food and not so long ago. It's simply unthinkable to hoard it for ourselves. We must include others. I wanna try and paint a picture of what making room for others or including others looks like. 
I wanna highlight three aspects of what it means to make room or include others at this table. After I describe each of these characteristics, then we'll look at how we can apply that this week. Are you with me? Okay. First, making room or including others involves seeing Jesus in others. Jesus speaks in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, about what it will be like when he returns to earth and takes those who have trusted in him to heaven. He makes a very curious statement here. Then the king will say, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus so identifies with the vulnerable, the ones in need, that he says, whenever we serve them, we are serving him. When we practice hospitality, we see in each need, each desperate face, each yearning, each forgotten one, the face of Jesus Christ. For while Jesus is the host of this table, welcoming and redefining who gets an invitation, he is also a vulnerable guest. For when he was on our earth, he received little welcome. John 1, 1. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Luke 9, 58. Foxes have dens and birds nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Seeing the face of Jesus in each person in need, we meet their needs not just because we follow Jesus, but also because we identify Jesus in each one. Writer Mike Mason writes, becoming a Christian begins with recognizing God in one human being, Jesus Christ, and goes on to the recognition of God's image in every other person. Rachel said this so beautifully last week when she talked about how God has never made a person he does not love. Each person we encounter bears his image and is worthy of his welcome. As Christine Pohl writes, Jesus, the most desired guest, comes in the form of a vulnerable stranger. Will we see him in them? Second, making room or including others involves accepting others. I don't think I can overstate the importance of acceptance in the health of a community. Romans 15, 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Acceptance doesn't mean we're all best friends. How could that be possible in an ever-growing, ever-expanding community? But it does mean we don't put others in a box or write them off as to you fill in the blank. 
Acceptance means we're open to receiving people who are different from us. It means we give people room to be who they are. How did Christ Jesus accept us? Rachel mentioned it again last week, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus extended the invitation and welcomed us, included us long before we got our act together, long before we were winsome, before we even wanted anything to do with him. That is how we are to accept others. Now that's not to say accepting others means we'll become soft on sin. Acceptance doesn't equal necessarily condoning behavior. I'm gonna say more about this next week, but in case you're out of town, here's a preview. Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. That becomes a helpful paradigm for us in how we follow Jesus' example. Jesus was always welcoming, accepting people as they were, and then extending an invitation to what real life in him is like. We strive to do the same. But we can't include without accepting. And it's really easy to accept people like us. We understand how they think. We appreciate their contribution. It's much more challenging to accept people who are different from us in some way. Real acceptance is not ignoring or downplaying those differences. Rather, it's acknowledging those and seeking to understand even value those differences. And it is the key to human flourishing. An old Irish proverb says, it is in the shelter of each other that people live. People only flourish in environments where they are accepted and received as they are. You know this if you've ever had a teacher for your child and for whatever reason, the teacher just doesn't like them. Your child doesn't flourish. Sociologists have long noted how we all make snap decisions about people when we meet them. And our initial impression may indeed be warranted. Certainly, we should use discernment when determining who is safe to be around and who is worthy of our trust. But all too often, I know I, for one, tend to exclude people from our circle for more arbitrary reasons. Perhaps in those times, we can pause and withhold judgment. I have always been struck by what Abraham Lincoln once said. I don't like that person very much. I should get to know him better. Who are the people you and I write off simply because we don't understand them or find it easy to relate to them? It could be someone in your family, neighborhood, school, church, or workplace. How might we accept them as Christ accepted us? Only in accepting will we be able to include Third, including others involves both intentionality and spontaneity in our part, meaning we will need to be both proactive and reactive, and we see both in the Bible. Proactive, Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, or Luke 15, where the shepherd leaves the sheep and intentionally goes out searching for the one who is lost to bring them in. And reactive, the story Rachel told last week, the parable of the Good Samaritan. This guy's just going about his day and he gets interrupted. The need is right there in front of him and he chooses out of compassion to respond. As we grow in practicing hospitality, it will include us both looking for intentional ways of doing that and also being willing to be interrupted 
There will be opportunities we must seek out and opportunities that are thrown in our laps. There are a myriad of examples I could give here. Hopefully, you're hearing some of those in our newsletter as various people in our church are sharing how they are seeking to live out this practice. So, that's a bit of a picture of what including others looks like. Now, how can we actually practice that this week? What's the application here? Because we can get better at this. Whatever God commands, he will give us the grace to do. I am assured by fitness gurus that anyone can run a marathon. They just have to train for it. So too, anyone can practice Christian hospitality. We must just train for it. The more we practice it, the more we will become proficient in it. So how can we practice hospitality this week and begin to get better at it? First, notice the need. See the person on the periphery. This is so basic and elementary, we often overlook it. But we can't include without first seeing who isn't being included. We've got to tone our muscle, as it were, to noticing in every setting we're in who is on the periphery or outside in this setting and how can I help draw them in. Rachel mentioned last week that this is a little easier to do if you've been on the periphery. And that's true. A high school girl I spoke with recently from a different church told me about her recent mission trip. She said she'd made it a point to include the other girls in her work group. She said, it wasn't that hard for me. I know what it feels like at school to not always be included. So I just looked for the people who looked lonely and tried to include them. And indeed, at the end of the week, her leader testified to the difference she made in that setting. She was intentional about noticing those on the outside. That's welcoming as a 16-year-old. Most of us are too busy and focused on ourselves, clamoring for our rights, jockeying for our position. We aren't noticing those on the periphery. The pastor's wife of a former church I serve used to say, oh, we're all middle schoolers deep down. And it is so true. Meaning every one of us lives with insecurities about whether we belong, how close we're in, who are our friends, whether we're liked, sometimes hypersensitive to the slight snubs of day-to-day -day life. It takes a certain level of maturity, a certain sense of security and confidence to reach out to others. But we can, by the grace of God, Stop focusing on ourselves and look for those who are in need. So here's a challenge. What if every gathering we went to this week, instead of assessing our own position and security in a group, we were intentional about noticing those who were on the outside, those who were on the periphery? What about here at church? Who are the new faces? Who are the people standing in the hallway looking for the bathroom? If you call City Church your church home, it's your responsibility to welcome these people in. You are the unofficial welcome team. Yes, we have an official welcome team because we need some structure, but the, or, but the organic welcome of someone here can make all the difference 
for someone who's just beginning to reconsider what role faith might play in their lives. On the sidelines or stands of your kid's sports team or orchestra, what parents do you notice are not as included? Their contribution is dismissed. Or others just forget to include them when giving directions to the post-game party. Who is discounted in your other everyday settings? Is it the administrative support team? Or the cleaning staff? The interns? The family member who everyone rolls their eyes at? The person with the accent? The single parent? I invite us all just to notice this week who that person is. Look at them. Maybe in looking at them long enough, we will begin to catch a glimpse of Jesus himself. And if we do, if we're able to see Jesus in that person on the periphery, maybe we'll be able to do the second step. Respond with compassion, offering what we have. Once we see the person and the need, we respond with compassion if we can. I emphasize offering what we have because for those of us with lots of empathy and sensitivity to these things, this can be really overwhelming. We see so many needs, more than we have the ability to meet. But it's not a sin to be a limited human being. We're gonna talk more about this next week. We can't meet every need, but we can at least pause long enough to ask the question, Lord, how can I help this person in need? Too many of us don't even stop to ask that. And even if we can't meet every need, we can meet one need, even if it's little. And I do mean little. It is amazing to me what a difference small acts of kindness, inclusion, welcome can be for someone. Sometimes it's such a small thing. We think, why bother? This isn't that much to offer. But it's those small acts that can have great impact. I've seen this time and time again. When you're hungry for inclusion, any little crumb feels huge. You've relocated for a job and you don't know a soul in town. Someone invites you to their home for lunch and it's grilled cheese and tomato soup and you're watching your carbs. The apartment is picked up but still shows signs of being lived in. You sit on a folding chair in their tiny apartment with their hand-me-down furniture, but you don't care. That meal, that apartment is beautiful to you because you're so desperate to learn something, anything about this new place you're in, and these people are giving you their time. They're telling you about the state fair, fun places to go, all these code words and insider tips you wouldn't know unless someone local shared them with you. It's a crumb for them. It wasn't much to do, but it's a meal for you. Here's another example. When I was at Cub the other week getting my item off the shelf, I overheard two employees talking as they stocked shelves. It was obvious one was a longtime employee and the other was in his first week. The more experienced employee was offering encouragement to the new one. He was saying, we're glad you're here. We're glad you joined the team. Be patient with yourself. There are over 100,000 products in this store. It's going to take you some time, but you'll be amazed. In three months, you won't believe what you've learned. Now, how long did that take? 10 seconds? 
How much of an impact do you think that had on that brand new employee to have someone help him through his first week instead of berating him for not moving faster or not even acknowledging his presence? Right there, the welcoming heart of God manifested itself in aisle 12 at Cub on Nicolette and 59th. And we can do this too in small ways. If your neighborhood block always does a party, but for some weird reason, you never invite the other people who live just houses away because, well, no one thought to, why not include them this time? If someone in your life keeps asking questions about your faith and genuinely seems curious, why not extend the invitation to Alpha? It's a safe place to explore Christian faith. You can even come with them to make sure they have a good experience. We simply never know how one small interaction with someone could change their trajectory. And indeed, that isn't up to us. We initiate, we extend the invitation but then we leave it to God to do the rest. We aren't connecting them to us. We're connecting them to God. We simply take their hand and put it in the hand of God and watch him do the rest. City Church, are we like those hungry beggars who upon finding a hoard of food just start scarfing it down for ourselves, forgetting about the others back in the village who need food too? Those of us who've sat at God's table, who have delighted in his love for us, can't help but share it with others. It's too good to keep to ourselves. And God has unlimited resources. There's always room for one more. The table isn't full yet. God wishes to welcome everyone into his household through Jesus Christ. This is an ever-expanding table. So who will you and I invite to the table this week? Who can we include? Maybe that will mean being intentional about including someone who's been on the outside. Maybe it will mean being willing to be interrupted by need that comes across our path. Jesus, the most desired guest, comes to us in the form of vulnerable stranger. Let's not miss him. Let us be open long enough to notice, suspend judgment long enough to accept, and consider what we can offer, as small as it may be, to ensure everyone has a place at the table, for that is indeed what God desires. Let's pray. Oh, living God, we give you thanks and praise for the truth of this, that everyone gets in on this, even us. Your table is open to all and you long to feed people. You long to give life. Open our eyes. Holy Spirit, now do your amazing work. Translate this message into the language for each person that we may know what it is we can do this week to see, to notice, and to include that others may eat and live for Jesus' sake. Amen.